Need to get your football fix on all things Army, Navy, and Air Force? This is Yards and Stripes Service Academy Football. Now, here's your host, Price Atkinson. Welcome in to Episode 1, Season 3 of Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy Football. All things Army, Navy, and Air Force is found right here on the Yards and Stripes podcast, and I am your host, Price Atkinson, back with you for another exciting season of Service Academy Football. Cannot wait to get this baby cranked up because we are just little over, what, two weeks away from the very first games involving all our three teams going to be in action, starting with Army on Friday night, August the 30th, hosting Rice, and then Navy and Air Force. They will be in action on Saturday, August the 31st, against a pair of teams from the Patriot League, Navy hosting Holy Cross, and Air Force hosting Colgate. But again, welcome into another season, season three. It's hard to believe that we've done 40 of these episodes. Technically, this will be episode number 41 as we turn the page to another season. Army sitting atop college football, the reigning commander-in-chief trophy holder as they will look to make it three straight this season at Jeff Munkin's Black Knight sit atop the college football landscape in the three service academies. It is going to be another incredible campaign with all three teams. And as I mentioned, Jeff Munkin, that's going to be our first guest interview here on episode one this season, as you'll hear from the Army head coach here shortly about his team, some of the key uh, positions they've got to replace, the balance uh, of the momentum and trying to balance a clean slate, getting ready for another season, uh, so many more things. Uh, you know, the expectations could not be higher up at West Point, coming off a record-setting 11-2 campaign last year, finishing the top 20 in both the AP and coaches poll, thrashed Houston uh, 70-14 to as the Black Knights uh, were, single, were single-handedly responsible for former Houston head coach Major Applewhite uh, no longer being there atop the Cougars program. But uh, it's going to be another fun campaign, and I can't wait to do it with you all right here on Yards and Stripes. What will you hear if this is your first time listening Appreciate you taking the time. I'm going to let, uh, let you know what you'll hear. Uh, if, it's just, if this is a uh, re- return, uh, uh, listeners, uh, they've been with us since season one. Again, first thing I'm going to say out of my mouth, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to subscribe, to download, to listen, to make this a part of your busy week, uh, to get you ready for the college football season. Um, again, if you have not subscribed, Yards and Stripes, search Yards and Stripes on iTunes. If you're an Apple uh, user, uh, if you're an Android user, you can use Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, uh, a myriad of different ways uh, to listen to the podcast every single week. All you have to do is go to your home where you listen to podcasts every week and just search on Yards and Stripes in the search engine and you will get us hit subscribe. And what would be awesome if you would take the time is to give us a rating. We'll take five stars. We'll take four, whatever it is you want to share. But uh, the ratings make the podcast easier to find for others, especially if you like what we do here on Yards and Stripes. And hopefully you do. And hopefully you'll keep coming back for more to get your fill of Service Academy football all season long as we are nothing but Army, Navy, and Air Force. What do you hear? You'll hear guest interviews every single week, uh, players, coaches, uh, some current, some former uh 
people that had been a part of the rivalry, administrators, uh, people who have served, uh, who are currently serving. Uh, we try and bring you a taste of Service Academy football every single week with people who have been a part of the three-story programs at Army, Navy, and Air Force. So you'll hear a guest interview every week. Sometimes we might even give you a double dip of a second interview. Uh, we'll, you'll get game previews uh, of who the teams have coming up, a look at the opponents. We'll also recap the action from the previous weekend, and during the season, we'll hand out our weekly game ball to the standout performer, one standout performer uh, of the entire weekend. So once the season gets going and kicked off just a little over two weeks from now, we'll give out our weekly game ball. So you'll want to stick around and hear that. And at the end uh, of every single podcast, the Travis Mannion Foundation Honor Roll, we started it uh, actually in season one that we call Faces of the Fallen. Last year we transitioned to the Travis Mannion Foundation Honor Roll where we honor and remember a fallen service member who has given their life uh, serving our nation and our country uh, because as we all know, freedom is not free. And so we want to take a step back and remind ourselves of what is important and that's those putting themselves, their lives on the line every single day here at home, around the world, for us, for our flag, for our freedoms, and everything that makes uh, the United States so great and the best place on earth to live. So that's what you're going to hear every single week here on Yards and Stripes. Again, I'm your host, Price Atkinson. Been doing this year three now. Uh, used to work in local sports talk radio in the Greenville, South Carolina upstate market. Uh, so have now transitioned away from that and now channel all my energies every single week here on Yards and Stripes. So excited to be with you, excited that you're with me for an episode, uh, another season. I'm excited to be with you. So let's go ahead and kick this off here in just a second. Uh, we're going to talk with the Army head football coach, Jeff Munkin, about his team, again, coming off that 11-2 and season last year, winning the Commander-in-Chief Trophy again. Another thriller there in Philadelphia. We'll talk with Coach Munkin about his team coming up next here on Yards and Stripes. It's everything you need to know about Service Academy football. Yards and Stripes continues. Here again is Price Atkinson. All right, our first guest interview of the season, episode one, season three here of Yards and Stripes, and honored to be joined by the Army head football coach, Jeff Munkin himself, getting ready with his sixth season coming up up there on the Hudson. Coach, it's just great to have a few minutes with you. Talk about your your team of this year. Don't want to look back too much as we want to look forward, but man, what a what a campaign. 11-2 and two last year, school record. You thrash Houston on the way out the door and finish in the top 20 in both uh, coaches' poll and the AP. Wow, what momentum you guys just ride into a new season, Coach. We are uh, working really hard at uh, not, uh, not trying to let complacency creep in. I think when when there's success and uh, a team manages to to create uh, uh, I, I guess a program that that uh, is winning consistently. Which fortunately, the last three years we've we've had some success and gone to bowl games. Yep. Now we don't have anybody in the program that's experienced the other side of it, and so the challenge is just to to take the next step and to try to improve and get better and. And that's all we're concentrating on right now is trying to become a better football team. 
Is that a hard balance at all as, as a head coach and as your coaching staff, as you balance the momentum, which you guys obviously, I mean, you beat Navy three in a row, uh, you know, two CICs, you, you get um, um, Air Force, you beat them two in a row. I mean, you've got all this momentum. How do you balance the momentum from one season and the previous season in terms of then with a new clean slate, you know, getting ready for an- another season? You know, I mentioned, sorry, you know, where you don't, you're not doing a depth chart right now. I mean, it's, is it a difficult balance at all? It's probably a good problem to have, especially the momentum part. Well, it gives everybody confidence, uh-huh. which is important, that we, we, we can win. And if we do the things that we believe in, that success can, can be achieved. So we, we certainly uh, use the success that we've had to, to show and to explain and, and to, to help our guys understand this is how we do it. Yep. Um, but, but it is difficult. Um, to uh, to talk about this new team and 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 really maybe not to talk about it but to get everybody in the program to understand that what we did last year really doesn't affect what's yeah. going to happen this season. It's 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 what this team does, and right now this team hasn't won a single game. Yep. So everything that we do is is obviously going to have to be earned by this team and and so I, I think we got enough veteran players and i think we've got a mature enough team to understand that and whether we'll be good enough to to win to to beat uh, anybody uh, we'll see and yep. and uh, we got a lot of work to do this preseason camp you know they say if you're not uh, you're not if you're not changing you know you're not looking ahead and not adapting but you know you obviously look at what you did last year and then what you're going to do this coming season and you know coaches visit with other coaches did did you pick the the brain of any other you know coaches staffs uh, programs this past off season you know do any uh, program visits where you you know maybe look to th- you know throw a wrinkle here a wrinkle there we do that every year mm-hmm. and uh and not just one staff but typically talk to multiple staffs mm-hmm. multiple coaches and and we had some that that came and visited us and just a great opportunity for us to grow and to 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 think about new ways to to uh to do the things that we want to do offensively defensively in the special teams and no wholesale changes, but just yeah. finding a, a way to tweak things. And, and that's been valuable for us every year. And I really compliment our assistant coaches, uh, our coordinators. They, they do a great job of that and, and, and really staying true to who we are, but, but finding some things that we can, can implement to, uh, to really support the, the, the main things that we do in, in every area. How how hard is it, Coach? Because the triple option, the concepts are, are are pretty straightforward. They're pretty simple at the end of the day. But you know, to to try and continue to innovate, I mean, the core of what the triple option is, you know, to to give it the different looks, to tweak it, maybe go out of the shotgun. Uh, you know, the pistol years ago that Coach Alt at, at, at Nevada kind of developed with different wrinkle. How, how hard is it each year to kind of try and? And maybe give something new, an added dimension to what is simply the triple option. It, our our offense is is very complex. Mm-hmm. I think probably for um, for for a lot of people outside of our program or 
those that don't have a lot of experience with the option don't realize just how complex it is. That yeah. All the different blocking schemes and all of the the different players on the defense that we can read in 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 different option plays, the formations, the tweaks to the to the blocking rules and blocking schemes up front and on the perimeter. There's a lot to learn, a lot to remember, and a lot of different run plays mm-hmm. that look very similar yet are are uh, are unique in the, in in the, in their own right. Yeah. And so we've we've got a lot of offense and a lot of it looks the same. Sure. So to add things is uh we do that very carefully mm-hmm. and, it, and it really, it needs to complement the things that we believe in most. Uh, but it, it continues to evolve and we're very different right now than we were 10 years ago when we first started. And I, I was, became the coach at Georgia Southern and, mm-hmm. and Brent Davis, our offensive coordinator came and, and joined our staff. We're, we're very different from, mm-hmm. from where we were then, but, there is still a, a, a core of plays and, and a big part of our offense that is exactly the same. And those are the things that really are the meat and potatoes of what we do. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 our coaches have done a great job of just finding complementary plays and, and things that we can do from formation standpoints to, to just make us better. And yeah. I think we've improved. I think we, sure. I think we just continue to improve and get better. Continue with Coach Jeff Munkin, the Army head coach himself, sixth season coming up, National Coach of the Year by the Maxwell Club and uh, the Lombardi Foundation last year after an 11-2 and campaign. And Coach, turning the page to this campaign coming up, you know, you talk about, you know, quarterbacks and, and things like that. Everybody, you know, you always want to, offensively, you know, Kelvin Hopkins, you know, he he's the guy that everybody talks about at the, you know, at the outset. But, you know, you guys last year had one of the best centers, I think one of the most underrated, but certainly I think one of the best centers in all of college football in Bryce Holland. You're going to have to replace him. That ultimately is the true quarterback because he's the one with the ball in his hands first, making the line calls in your center. You know, how much of a difference with it? You got three, what, three, four starters back on the offensive line, but having to replace a guy just so underrated and such a glue guy like a Bryce Holland. That guy was, was really something special. Yeah. He was a tremendous leader, mm-hmm. the ultimate tough guy. Um, he just he, he led our whole team, not mm-hmm. just the offensive line and the offense, but he he was really a guy that our whole team leaned on for leadership. And I, I don't know that his personality and his ability as a player, that combination – if if we have another guy like mm-hmm. him, I don't know if we'll ever coach another guy like him. Yeah. Just exceptional, exceptional in in his ability to lead and to perform as a player. And there's a lot of really good players, a lot of good centers in in college football, but I don't know that anybody's center meant more to their team than Bryce meant to ours. Yep. He was a huge part of our success and I worked for Paul Johnson for a long time, and he always said, "You got to be good up the middle. You got to be good at center, quarterback, and be back. Yep. And if you are, you got a chance to be pretty good on offense. And and he he really helped our offense go and and be productive and 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 be the 
the unit that it was a year ago. Yeah. As you look defensively, Coach, you know, this unit, uh, the last couple of seasons, I mean, un- under um, the the playmaking ability that, the, that your defense had to come up with critical plays at the most critical times. I know some of the guys like Gibby and James Nautigal, Kenneth Brinson, you know, some of these real playmaking guys – uh, are gone, but you, seniors back that made plays in their own right, Cole Christensen, Elijah Riley, Jalen McClinton. I mean, you got some guys to replace, but you mentioned the word leadership a few minutes ago, uh, talking about Kelvin, especially Bryce last year. Uh, the leadership, talk about some of these playmakers that you're going to be looking for some new guys to step up in addition to the ones everybody knows about on defense. We are, and and every team needs guys like that. Every organization needs leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and and when you've got a, a successful organization and you've got strong leadership and there's there's transition, which there is in college football, that's just part of the game. Um, they, they eventually graduate. New guys have to replace those leaders. And I, I, I think we've really got a strong group of seniors. They want to lead. They got a great desire to, to move this program forward and get better. And, mm-hmm. and I can see the leadership coming out of, of each of those position groups that were, where maybe those guys were a little more quiet or mm-hmm. just kind of uh, uh, maybe just a support to the other guys that, that, that really were the out front leaders in their units and now they've kind of had to take over but that's that's what's special about West Point and and watching these guys grow as young men and watching them grow as leaders and 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 realizing that not not just uh on our football field but what they're going to do when they graduate and the leaders that they're going to become for their soldiers and so it's it's really it's really fun to 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 see that all those those developments take place with our with our guys. As you guys are preparing for Rice Friday night, August the thirtieth at Mikey, six p.m. Uh, one of the most beautiful backdrops in all of, all of college football. I know it's all early in August camp, Coach. You mentioned that freshmen are going to play. You know some maybe some of the true freshmen that have you know come in direct, or some of the guys coming down from from maps. But you know who early on any freshman that catch your eye that you think yeah that guy is going to be on the field in some capacity period when we take the field against rice on friday night the 30th oh gosh i uh i don't know if i can call any out yeah. we we really uh we really have a good group of freshmen our coaches are as excited about this freshman class after the first week of camp mm-hmm. as maybe any since we've been here and there are several guys who were in a prep school program last year. They have an an instant head start on their peers who didn't go to the prep school just because of the the, the terminology and all the things that that our prep school coaches do to prepare them to play in this this system, whether it be on defense or offense or or whatever it may be. And 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 typically, physically, they're a little stronger, a little more prepared. They've mm-hmm. been through. The, the basic training both at the prep school and and then go through it again as plebes here it doesn't it doesn't wear them out and affect them and beat them down as much just because they're mentally prepared and and probably physically more developed so there's a lot of those guys that I think are showing up but there's some there's some direct freshmen that were playing high school football a year ago that we're really excited about and I think may have a chance to 
maybe uh, just play on a special team or perhaps as the season goes along and mentally they come along where they can handle a little more responsibility on the field that they do get some snaps on offense or defense. So it'll be interesting to see. And I'd be unfair to name a bunch of guys right now, really (laughs) not knowing uh, we're going to, we're going to scrimmage tomorrow. We'll we'll have a much better idea after tomorrow. Probably. All right, coach starting to wrap up here. Just two more out before we get out the door. I'm kind of curious. You guys have played uh, what, at least in one overtime game, the, the last three seasons and, uh, a minor change, I guess, maybe way to call it, maybe not minor, maybe it's major, but to the overtime rule in college football this year, uh, knowing you guys have found yourself in a couple of those and you always have to prepare and potentially you know how you might handle it, but any thoughts on, on the new overtime rule this season? No, I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I'm be interested to see how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. It really, I think, is – is uh, in hopes that we don't have those uh, <laughs> marathon games where there's seven overtimes. I've never been a part of one of those. The most I've I've been a part of is three overtimes, yeah. and that is that is that's a long game and it's agonizing. But it's 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 a lot of fun to to be in a game where you're just going blow for blow. It feels like you're in the fifteenth round, and and they just won't ring the bell, and you got to keep going. But uh, I think all of the changes that are made for player health and welfare are important. And, yep. and certainly uh, if, if there's a feeling that that's going to benefit the, the young men that play this game, then, then certainly it's a positive, but I think like every rule uh, we will, we'll see how it, how it affects the game and, and hopefully it'll be positive. And if it's not, then I, I, my hope is that they would they would change it again or change it back to what it was, so that we don't lose the integrity of of the competition and, and the game. So there's there's just a lot of rules like that. Yep. Uh, so many of them have been good, and and there's been others that I think probably in practice as we see them could could be executed a little bit better, and, and hopefully will you know as a as a game and as a sport continue to evolve and, and improve the game. All right, Coach, last question for you real quick. And getting away from the practice field but staying on the field, do you mow your own grass? Do I? Yeah. Absolutely not. I don't know who's <laughs> got time for that. Hey, hey, anybody that anybody that coaches – College football, I don't know how yeah. they've got time to cut their own grass. No I, way. I heard somebody ask another coach that a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know what? i got to ask Coach Munkin to kick off the season if he does because uh, it's funny the answers you get sometimes with some of the coaches. Certainly this time of year, I think every one of them say absolutely no way, no how. Coach, look, thanks for a few minutes today. We wish you all the best against Rice. And you know, can't wait to see you down the road this season. I know it's an exciting season of Army football, ready to go again. Same here. Thanks for the opportunity. Beat Navy. That's Army head football coach Jeff Munkin right there as the night. Black Knights getting ready for the visiting Rice Owls coming to Mikey Friday night, August the 30th. The 6 p.m. kickoff tickets are still available. Make sure you go online if you want to get tickets to that football game to see what's going to be an exciting season of Army football. Expectations are as high as they have ever been at West Point. Go check out online. The Army Ticket Office, GoArmyWestPoint.com online again. GoArmyWestPoint.com for tickets to that opener against Rice. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift gears. 
Here on Yards and Stripes, Episode 1, we've talked with an Army head football coach. We're going to shift gears. As he said, beat Navy on the way out the door. We're going to talk a little bit about the Navy midshipmen with the beat writer for the Annapolis Capitol, Bill Wagner, coming up on the other side. Don't worry again, Air Force fans. We got Air Force Falcon football that we're going to bring to you next week and the week after as we get ready for kickoff. It's just a couple weeks away. Everybody can feel it. Everybody can smell it. It's almost here, the kickoff of the 2019 season. We're going to continue previewing the upcoming campaign with Bill Wagner from the Annapolis Capitol coming up next right here on Yards and Stripes. The latest with Navy, Army, and Air Force on Yards and Stripes Service Academy football. Here again is Price Atkinson. All right, welcome back in episode one, Yards and Stripes, season three, and going up to Annapolis to talk some Navy football with my man Bill Wagner, who I hadn't seen since a uh, fairly cold, chilly day there in December at uh, Lincoln Financial Field when Navy finished off a 3-10 and season. Uh, his Army was winning another Commander-in-Chief trophy title, but as Bill Wagner, the beat writer for the Annapolis Capitol covering the midshipmen, is out at Navy football practice as we are speaking right now. Wags, I guess really where we start right now, uncharted territory this past offseason for Coach Kendi Matalolo finishes 3-10, and 10, obviously the worst season he's had since he became the head coach at Navy and really, uh, you know, something that Navy had not tasted back during the uh, really the first year of Paul Johnson era. Uh, so really, let's go ahead and get started. How did Coach Niamatololo turn the page to get ready for this season, especially with some new hires on the staff? Well, obviously, Coach Nehemiah did quite a bit of soul searching. I mean, he's this is uncharted territory, as you said. I mean, when Navy went two and ten under Paul Johnson, that was a completely different situation. It was a total rebuild. Navy had hit rock bottom. Yep. This this record uh, last season was kind of out of nowhere because they, you know, had so many winning seasons. They've been so consistent, and it just no one's you know it did it did make sense that they fell so far so quickly, but. Coach Diamantololo addressed a lot of areas, and he he started with a basically cleaning house on the defensive side of the ball in terms of coaching staff. New defensive coordinator Brian Newberry brought in from Kennesaw State. Uh, Dale Pearson, who was the defensive coordinator, retired, and uh, there is five or six other assistant coaching changes on the defensive side of the ball. So it was quite an overhaul. And uh, so far, the results seem positive. Uh, Brian Newberry has brought a more aggressive attacking style to Navy, and uh, it's going to be a completely different type of defense than what you've seen. Uh, And, you know, so far, the, the signs are positive. Well, let's start right there because we usually talk about Navy. When we talk Navy football, usually it's on offense and the triple option. But I, I do want to start on defense because, to me, that's the critical area. And I think what you watch with, with the Army defense the last few years develop into more of a – I mean, not develop. They were a playmaking style of defense. And bringing Brian Newberry in, as you mentioned, Dale Pearson retires. You know, moving to more of a 4-2-5, I believe, is what they're going to be looking at playing. You know, this is you're moving away from the really what Navy had been for years under Buddy Green and under uh, Coach Person later. You know, that bend but don't break defensive style. You're obviously going to have to get pressure on the quarterback, and that's going to start with Jackson Pittman, 6'3", 300-pound nose tackle. Um, you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, last year in terms of you only had four sacks in the last nine games. It's going to have to start up front, making plays, tackle for a loss, getting to the quarterback. Right. Well, you mentioned the Army's defense. That was uh, 
Jay Bateman was the defensive coordinator, and he did such a good job at Army that he was hired yep. at North Carolina by Mac Brown when he took over. And uh, that's really what Coach Niamatololo was basing his uh, his hire of Brian Newberry on. In fact, uh, Jay Bateman recommended Brian yeah. Newberry to Coach Niamatololo, and uh, they they had spent time together, I believe, at Elan is where they were together. Mm-hmm. And you know, Brian Newberry believes in a lot of the same things as Jay Bateman, and I think the byword is unpredictable. You, they want to be unpredictable. They want to do so many different things that you are not sure what you're seeing on a given down. They're going to bring pressure from all sorts of areas. They're going to fake like they're bringing pressure and drop back. It's just the key word is unpredictability and, and keeping the offense off balance. All right, continue with Bill Wagner, who you can follow on Twitter at BWagner underscore Cap Gas, beat writer for the Annapolis Capitol. He's been doing this uh, longer than any other Navy beat writer on the scene. And as we talk about Navy pick to finish fifth, Wags in the West Division of the American Athletic Conference, that's a place where they hadn't been as they've been, what, I think top three in the division since they got there. Um, You know, defensively, another question for you before we go to offense. Um, We know about Jackson Pittman. Cromartie is one of your most solid, um, you know, players at 6'2", 245 pounds, you know, a linebacker defensive end. I'm kind of curious about this kid, uh, the sophomore, Diego Fajot. I, I don't know if I've got the, the name right, 6'3", 240-pound uh, middle linebacker. Uh, who are some of the guys like him and some others that you think are going to play a big role in this new Brian Newberry four two five defensive alignment? Well, you just mentioned several of them. Obviously, Pittman's an important person because he is the, the guy that holds the uh, point of attack. Um, but I don't know that they're looking for him to get pressure. I think they just want him to make sure that he yeah. holds the point of attack and keeps the – doesn't get pushed backwards and hopefully takes on double teams and frees other people up to make plays. But Isaiah Cromartie is going to be a key element of this defense. And he's playing, like you said, a hybrid position. It's kind of an outside linebacker defensive end. At times he's going to be allowed to rush the quarterback at other times. He'll have to drop in to coverage. That's all part of the unpredictability is that you take a guy like that and you never know if he's coming on uh, rushing the quarterback or dropping into coverage. So Joe, Diego Fajot is going to be an absolute crucial part of this. What I have seen so far is that Brian Newberry is giving him the freedom to blitz and wreak havoc. And during both the spring and here in the early portion of August training camp, Fajot has been a playmaker, and they are allowing him to time the snap count and try to blitz, and, and it's been very effective. So I think you're going to see that Diego Fajot is a key player. Another guy is Jake Springer, who is uh, you know kind of a safety outside linebacker type. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing closer to the line of scrimmage this year, and I think they envision him in that role. And that's kind of part of the, the idea is to be able to bring pressure from all sorts of different places. And in that, that's why a guy like Jake Springer, you never know when he is going to blitz from you know a, a safety slash outside linebacker position. So – I think those are key guys. Cromartie, Fajot, and Springer are three of your big playmakers. And with a lot of new faces on the coaching staff, you're obviously, and we know there's going to be a change in mentality, scheme, everything, what you're doing on defense. The schedule, you never like to have two bye weeks in the first month of the season. You open with Holy Cross, a bye week, then you get um, uh, then you get East Carolina coming to Annapolis, and then another bye week before your first road trip of the season at Memphis. 
while you don't like to have those kind of bye weeks in that, you know, laid out the way it is for Navy this year, that actually might play into the, their favor a little bit in terms of being able to look at film, being able to do some more teaching in those first that first month of the season, especially on defense. Right. No, I, I agree. And, and like you said, you'd rather space those bye weeks out and make sure you're getting breaks in between uh, the various, you know, if you have a stretch of four or five games, that's when you really need that bye week. But uh, no, I, I do agree that, that, that it does give some time for teaching and evaluating. And, uh, you know, hopefully they'll take advantage of that. All right, let's move to the, the offensive side of the ball as we continue with Bill Wagner, the beat writer for the Annapolis Capitol. You can check out all their all Bill's work at CapitalGazette.com. Follow him on Twitter at BWagner underscore CapGazes. He's out at Navy football practice right now. You know, Wags, no game to me uh, epitomized the issues of the Navy offense last year, in my opinion, more than the Air Force game. They got the first touchdown out of the game. I believe it was on a short field from a turnover, went down and scored, went up 7 nothing. then gave up 35 straight points as Air Force won 35-7. You know, Navy finished fifth in the country in rushing offense last year, but the yards per rush went down to under five for the first time in a while offensively we discussed this multiple times last year the ball's going to go back to Malcolm Perry at quarterback one of the most electrifying playmakers in all of college football you know we talked could can he take the pounding at quarterback where's the, the offense right now for Navy going into the season ball going back into his hands what are you expecting what are you seeing at preseason practice well, Price, you and I were together at that Air Force game out in Colorado Springs, and we were looking at each other in yeah. just belief as to what we were seeing. Navy could do nothing offensively, and really, that was the game when they realized that their entire season game plan wasn't going to work. They had been – Navy has been utilizing a zone read concepts yep. because both Will Worth and Zach Aby were interior runners – and that, that was a kind of a concept that worked really well. You could do some zone read blocking and have A.B. and Worth were both very good at picking their holes, running between the tackles. Well, that's not Malcolm. Malcolm does not is not a guy that you want to be running between the tackles. And I think they thought all they had to do was give him a few openings, a little, a little crease, and he would break long runs. But the Air Force did an incredible job of bottling up the interior and given there were no running lanes whatsoever, and Navy had no answer. Said Ivan Jasper even said after the game, if you recall, he said, I take this on me. I, this was a terrible yep. game plan. And he even admitted that he didn't have a backup plan, and, and which was really amazing to hear. Yep. But uh, they're going to change things. I mean, here's the bottom line. They're, they're Malcolm, I think what Coach Nehemiah, and really let's go back with one other step, that Air Force game is why Coach Nehemiah decided to move Malcolm Perry back to slot back and have Zach Aby return as the starting quarterback because they were committed to this scheme and they realized it wasn't going to work with Malcolm and that they needed a guy who could, you know, break some tackles or run over some guys in if their holes weren't there. So that it just changed the entire tenor of the season. Well, Coach Niamatololo has decided that he, he made a mistake. He shouldn't have benched Malcolm Perry. What he should have done was he should have, change uh change the offense and that's what they're going to do this year they're altering the offense they're going to use you try to play to malcolm perry's strengths and we know he's got great speed he's an outside guy so set up some plays which get him out in space and 
I think you're going to see a return to the true triple option, which is reading it at the line of scrimmage. We, frankly, last few years, there has not been much of that. Yep. There has not been much of what I call the true read triple option where right. even the coaching staff does not know where the ball is going to go yep. when it's snapped. It's based on reads. They read the defensive end and that determines whether you're going to give to the fullback. Then you read a linebacker or a safety and that determines whether the quarterback's going to keep it or pitch it. So there, there has not been much of that lately. And I think you're going to get, we're going to get back to that and you get Malcolm Perry out there uh, reading and, and, and if somebody makes a mistake, he's going to, take it 50 60 yards so got to get more perimeter game going and that involves the slot backs also last year the slot backs were not involved with the offense nearly enough i think they've got to get them more involved to get them back as a key element of the offense and then the last thing is that coach neomatololo has decided that he would like to incorporate some run and shoot passing schemes he Realized the Navy just was not effective passing the ball. It enabled teams to stack the box with 10, 11 defenders, and you can't have that. You've got to have the ability to throw the ball and back people off. And so they feel that run-and-shoot concepts sort of fit what they do. It's uh, similar to the triple option in that you read. A lot of what you do run-and-shoot passing-wise is based off reads. So – I think the you know the run and shoot. We'll see how that works. I mean, it's a lot involved there, and it involves Malcolm being able to execute. So, uh, but that that was another part of the plan in terms of correcting the offense. All right, two things that you touched on right there that that I'm curious if I'm off base on. Number one. To me, Navy doesn't have quite the talent that they did, you know, like under uh, Gigi Green and just some of the other slot backs they've had over the years. To me, it just doesn't seem like that, you know, that electric kind of talented playmaker, a Shun White, is, is on the outside on this roster. Am I wrong there? And number two, when you talk about getting away from the true triple, I just don't think Navy's had a fullback or what would they would call a B-back in this offense. You know, uh, uh, the Kyle Eccles of the world, the Eric Katanis, um, you know, uh, even a Chris Swain. There hasn't been that horse at B-back, at fullback, that Navy has been become accustomed to over the years. Right. I would have to agree with you on that, uh, both, both points. It, you've got to have a dynamic slot back. I think Navy has two pretty good ones, C.J. Williams and Keone. Uh, Cordell Macacow, and they they are probably your top guys, but you know they definitely do not have a a breakaway speedster type guy at the slot back position. We'll see if maybe some of the young players that have have come in from the prep school or as freshmen, if anyone that can contribute there. But that is a problem. You need a guy that, but you, the slot backs can still be effective, even though you might not have a breakaway threat. If you use them properly, they still should be able to gain yardage. Yeah. So I think they've got slot backs who can do the job if given an opportunity. No question with regard to the fullback. I have seen a, a drop off in terms of overall talent. Chris Swain was the last high quality fullback, and Navy had gotten very fortunate in terms of having a long run of them, Eric Catani, Adam Ballard, yep. you know, going back to Kyle Echo, And, you know, it's it just, they haven't had it. And the production proves it. They, if the guy, if they had that kind of fullback, they'd have better production. And Nelson Smith is going to get the shot this year. And he's an interesting case. He's a smaller guy. He has breakaway ability. So if he gets into the open, he can, he can, you know, take it to the house, but he is a smaller guy. He's not going to break tackles. He's not going to run over people. 
So I agree. They need to find a more dynamic fullback who's going to be the workhorse because obviously that's where the option starts. It all starts with the fullback. It's got to be your number one option. That's how you establish yourself as far as this offense and going into a game. You want to get that fullback established and prove to the opponent they got to stop that first and that opens up everything else so you are correct and and they hopefully nelson smith has made a step forward taken a step forward and is uh going to be productive uh you know he's the guy it's he is going to be given every opportunity to show that he is the, the the guy that deserves the most carries all right wrapping up with bill wagner again the beat writer for the navy midshipman at the annapolis capitol make sure to follow him on twitter at b wagner underscore cap Sign up, get yourself a subscription to CapitalGazette.com. You won't find any kind of Navy football coverage like Wags does it. Wags, tell me in, in our way out the door, pick fifth to finish in the AAC. The, de- the debate comes up, and it happens every year. We've been having it since Navy joined the AAC. Joining a conference, do you feel like last year, finishing 3-10, and 10, did it finally catch up to Navy uh, with kind of getting worn down last year. And, you know, obviously they lost a couple close games. There's no doubt about it. The season could have been a lot different, could have, would have, should have. But, you know, do you think it started to take its toll on Navy without the kind of depth that the Memphises, that maybe the SMUs, the, the South Floridas, the Houstons have? Well, there's no question that playing in this conference is tough. And yep. this is a high-level conference. They are just barely on the outside of Power 5. And, You've got a lot of, of good programs with high aspirations. These schools, uh, Houston, uh, uh, Tulane is up to its game. I mean, you look at what Cincinnati did last year. I mean, there you have got a bunch of schools who are pouring a considerable amount of money into their programs and want to compete at the highest level. And the conference, in just the short time that Navy's been in this conference, I have seen the competitive level across the board go way up. So, yeah, it's a tough conference. And then you factor in that Navy has three games that, that it must play every year, Army, Air Force, and Notre Dame. Yep. So it leaves one opening on your schedule. You're able to, to schedule one cupcake, a kind of a guaranteed win, if you will, this year. You know, it's Holy Cross. But yep. you, they're, they're, you don't have the scheduling flexibility that Navy had when it was an independent. And Chet Kladchak had the famous philosophy of, of uh, four, 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 you know, and, and four games that Navy probably was going to be an underdog, four games that it was going to be a favorite, and then four that were kind of toss-ups. And that formula was helping Navy win seven, eight, nine, ten games a year. Now it's just difficult. So you, if you're going to have a winning season, you've got to pretty much have a winning season within the American Athletic Conference. And yeah, that's tougher to do now that these teams are improving. <laughs> so, but I do feel that Navy, if things go well can be among the better teams in the American Athletic Conference, but you mentioned it earlier, winning close games. That has always been a calling card of Navy football. They have, for the most part, during this incredible run of success, they have been winning more close games than not. And last year, it all went the other way, and they didn't win a single close game. And I think Coach Nehemiah has talked about finishing. And Navy did not finish games last year. In the fourth quarter, we had two games, SMU and Tulane, that they basically were lost on the last play of the game. So, you know, they've got to finish. They've got to have, you know, that's how you win those close games. You're the team that steps up at, at crunch time, and it didn't happen for Navy last year. And I think Coach Niamat has also talked about character and leadership and everything that goes into the whole Navy culture. He thought there was some 
leadership missing last year. There was something off, as he put it, and that's got to be corrected. That's how you win close games down the stretch. You you dig down deep because you've got incredible, you know, a culture among within your program. And so there's a lot of factors that go into it. But yeah, maybe <laughs> it's not going to be easy from here on out in this league. You're, that- Best with being a winning team in the American Athletic Conference is going to be difficult. You better be on your game and you better be a good program in order to do so. Last question. Best best case scenario, everything falls Navy's way. Everything, Malcolm Perry stays healthy. You don't have, obviously, the litany of injuries that Navy has kind of been beset by the last couple of years, especially at some key spots. How do you predict, how do you see the season going for the midshipmen? Well, I think if you can win eight games, that would be a heck of a bounce back year. I yeah. think you know, a winning season period would be is what they need. I mean, that shows that some of the changes that were made have paid off. But uh, I think an eight win season, I don't think you're going to be seeing Navy win 10 games sure. like they did at the peak of when they're an independent and and really it hit their stride at, under Paul Johnson in the early years of Ken Miyamatololo. I don't think you're going to see Navy winning nine and 10 games anymore. It's just too difficult. So I think uh, an eight and four season would be tremendous. All right, Wags, we're going to let you go. I, as always, appreciate all your time uh, dissecting Navy and what's going on in, in August camp. Man, I can't thank you enough and can't wait to see you uh, uh, in a press box near you. Yep, we will. And, Price, you're the best. And uh, look forward to talking to you later in the season. All right, that's Bill Wagner with the Annapolis Capital. Again, follow him at bwagner underscore capgaz, the Navy beat writer at the Capital Gazette there in Annapolis. Appreciate a few minutes with him. And when we come back, we're going to – Open up my favorite segment, the Travis Mannion Foundation Honor Roll segment, how we wrap up every episode of Yards and Stripes. You won't want to miss it right here. Stay tuned. The TMF Honor Roll is coming up next. All right, welcome back in. Time for my favorite segment here in the show that we started in year one. We did it last year. We're going to certainly continue it here in season three, and it's the Travis Manion Foundation Honor Roll segment, and quite simply it's this, where we honor and remember someone who gave the ultimate sacrifice for our country and for our freedoms, and it's taking that step back that obviously uh, life, service, it's just so much more important than any game that we'll ever play. The game of life is... It's just so much more important than any scoreboard, any outcome uh, of a football game, athletic contest of any endeavor. And, you know, it's just that time to put things into perspective. And, you know, in partnering again with our friends at the Travis Mannion Foundation that you can check out online, travismannion.org. And, you know, they live by the motto, if not me, then who? And those were the some of the final words uh, before leaving on his final deployment that Marine Travis Mannion spoke. Um, And he said, if not me, then who? As he was going back to deploy once again uh, to the Middle East. And on April the 29th, 2007, uh, was when Travis Mannion, someone who I knew and worked with while working at the Naval Academy, uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice when he was killed uh, by an enemy sniper, uh, saving wounded teammates in the battlefield. And, you know, the, the work of the Travis Mannion Foundation goes, it's just grown exponentially every single year. Uh, is they, they simply 
empower veterans and families of fallen heroes to develop character in future generations. That is their mission, and they do work in communities and partnering with those families who have lost loved ones uh, to continue uh, the the memory and commitment uh, of service in local communities across the country. And this person this week uh, that we're going to start with this this season is not actually a family or somebody that's worked with the Travis Manning Foundation, at least to my knowledge. Um, but it's someone that, if you saw the recent news stories, I was just so moved by the story last week when U.S. Air Force Major Roy Knight Jr. was brought home from northern Laos as a Vietnam veteran who gave the ultimate sacrifice on May the 19th, 1967. And Major Knight, the moving story was just incredible last week as I saw it on the news um, that after 52 years uh, of, of being missing, um, when he was shot down uh, over northern Laos while flying uh, one of two A-1E Sky Raider aircrafts on a strike mission, was shot down in enemy territory. Remains were never found. Uh, several investigations happened over the years at the crash sites. Um, at the crash site before his remains were just recently found, and he was flown home or flown back to California last week. But then his son Brian, uh, one of several kids in the Knight family, his son Brian, now a pilot with Southwest Airlines, a captain. Uh, flew his father home uh, for the final time, brought him back to Dallas Love Field after 52 years in a special, you just can't put into words and watching it unfold. And, and his son, Brian, said, quote, you can't imagine what an honor that is for a son to be able to do that for his father. And, you know, he received full military honors uh, upon landing at Dallas Love Field. And then subsequently, over the weekend, uh, was given full mil mil military honors as he was officially laid to rest. And at 36 years old, um, when he passed, serving our country uh, as a Vietnam uh, in Vietnam, uh, and then being returned home as a Vietnam veteran, just an incredibly moving story. And to see Dallas Love Field, the workers there, the people in the terminal, everybody come to a standstill to pay tribute as one of our Vietnam veterans and heroes was brought home, U.S. Air Force Major Roy Knight Jr. And so in what just transpired last week and just seeing the patriotism and the people, the way they rose and, and supported the Knight family uh, collectively and paying tribute to um, Brian's father who flew him home, just an amazing scene. And so too oftentimes, as my father was a Vietnam veteran himself, uh, served in the U.S. Army, you know, that, that caught me and pulled right at my heartstrings uh, and hit home in terms of my family, too. Luckily, my dad was able to come home from Vietnam, but certainly there are many, many family members listening right now and those who've had friends that uh, unfortunately were not able to come home from Vietnam, from, from other uh, combat uh, missions uh, in serving our country. Uh, around the world. So it's just that time we take to uh, step back and say thank you to those serving. Uh, thank you to the to their families uh, as their loved one gave the ultimate sacrifice for all of us. 
And so, again, just really appreciate the Travis Mannion Foundation and partnering with us again uh, this season. Again, travismannion.org. If you want to know how you can get involved, you can go check it out right there online. Uh, they're doing some amazing work across the country, and especially right now they've got their 9-11 uh, ruck and runs, uh, their 9-11 heroes run. Uh, it's right there on their front page, Run to Honor. You can uh, sign up for a, a race in your local community, or you can do a virtual uh, run or ruck uh, to honor uh, our nation's fallen heroes. So check them out online, travismanion.org. Here's a little bit more about the Travis Mannion Foundation. In 2007, Marine First Lieutenant Travis Mannion was killed in Iraq after saving his wounded teammates. Travis's legacy lives on through the words he spoke before his final deployment, If not me, then who? Words that today fuel the spirit of Travis Manion Foundation. And through TMF, these words can live in you too. Show the world what you're made of, because character is invisible until it's not. Find out how you can strengthen the character of your community alongside empowered veterans, families of the fallen, and inspired civilians at travismanion.org. We are just over two weeks away from kickoff of the 2019 college football season, and we are kicking off episode one. Actually, we are wrapping up episode number one, season three of Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football all season. A new episode coming to you every Wednesday during the college football season. Really excited to do this with everybody and appreciate everybody that's listening right now that's subscribed. Uh, if you have not subscribed, I urge you just to go to iTunes, search Yards and Stripes. Uh, you can search on Stitcher. If you're uh, an Android user, just use the app Stitcher. You can use Google Play, Spotify, a myriad of ways to listen to Yards and Stripes every week. Just go search Yards and Stripes wherever you listen to your favorite podcast every week. It will be delivered to you every single Wednesday during the 2019 season. Another episode of Yards and Stripes with guest interviews from coaches, players, uh, people that have been a part of these three storied traditions and programs at Army, Navy, uh, and Air Force. Uh, so stay tuned with us. We got a whole lot more to do this season. Uh, it just, it's fueled me the way you guys, you know, get fueled and filled up every single week talking about and listening to this podcast as we get you ready with all three of the teams, what they did the week before, what they've got coming up ahead, and just peeling the layers back to find out what it's been like to be a part of these just incredible programs that, in my opinion, don't get the kind of attention they deserve around the college football landscape dominated by, you know, the Alabamas of the world, the Clemsons, the Georgias, the Oklahomas, which obviously Army almost took down last year out in Norman. You know, but it's just these three programs, what these student athletes do as future leaders in the United States military, the United States Navy, the Marines, and the Air Force leading our country on the battlefield, in places around the globe, here at home. As we know, freedom is never free. And these kids, student-athletes, I hate to even say the word kids, but the next generation of leaders, they're being groomed at their respective military, um, Navy, uh, and Air Force Academy 
to go out and lead our country. And it's just so special to watch them, especially do battle, uh, in air quotes, on, just on Saturdays, in, in this case uh, of Army starting the season on a Friday night. But I just think it's it, the, 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 the players, the coaches, everybody around the three programs, they, they deserve their due. And that's what just drives me to do this every single week. So I appreciate everybody listening in, tuning in, subscribing. Tell a friend if you like what we do, if you like uh, what you hear, uh, share the link. Uh, share, Tell a friend, hey, I got something for you to listen to. His podcast, who doesn't have a podcast nowadays? Well, we got you covered right here. Yards and Stripes, your home for Service Academy football. Let's put a bow on this thing. Episode one in the books. We'll do episode two next week. Got more guest interviews for you uh, coming up then. Coach Troy Calhoun, the head coach of the Air Force Falcons. He's going to join us, and we are going to talk a lot more uh, about the Air Force Falcons next week Is I don't want you to think we've purposely neglected what we're doing these first three episodes. We'll talk with all three head coaches, beat writers from the respective programs to just to really let you fill up and digest the preseason uh, with all three programs getting ready for kickoff. So that's going to do it here for myself, Price Atkinson, the host and creator of Yards and Stripes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our military members for listening. Thanks to our military members for serving, the families of those who are serving. Uh, Just cannot say thank you enough to all of you as we will do this again next week right here on Yards and Strike, your home for Service Academy football. To get more on all things Service Academy football, like Yards and Stripes on Facebook and follow them on Twitter at Yards and Stripes. And as always, you can subscribe to Yards and Stripes on iTunes and Stitcher. Join us again next time for Yards and Stripes Service Academy football.